It is the Lockdown Bengals Podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We're coming to you, well, one of us is coming to you live from Mobile, Alabama. The other one of us, me, is coming to you from my regular recording place in Canada. But we've got for you today an exclusive interview with Duke Tobin. That'll be coming at you in segments two and three. Our own Joe Gaberry got to sit down with Duke along with Cincy Jungle's John Sheeran, who you've heard on this podcast before. So we'll take a listen to that interview coming up here in a little bit. But first, I want to get Joe's take on day two of the Senior Bowl, who stood out, who we talked to, and let's just get into it. Day two of the Zach Taylor Coach Senior Bowl is in the books. Joe Goodberry is coming to you live from Mobile, Alabama. Here's your day two Senior Bowl recap on your Locked On Bengals lead story. I'm Jake Lisko, along with Joe Goodberry. Joe, you were down there today. You were watching a little bit more of the North team, whereas yesterday you were a little bit more focused on the South, but I know you see both of them either way. Who stood out? What was the day like? Take us through it. Yeah, and it's we saw more of the North today because really from two practices now, they've done a lot of stretching and a lot of like team activity stuff and really not football applicable drills or skills so it's taken two practices with the north to really figure out who some of these guys are which as sometimes there's a team that seems to want to do that rather than line them up and throw the ball or actually run plays which the Bengals have been doing pretty well their practices have been entertaining so on the north guy north side a couple guys uh, I really wanted to pay attention to one was Zach Bond linebacker Wisconsin kind of an edge guy but the Bengals are uh and they need moving to a 3-4 kind of multiple defense. I think when I look at any of these edge guys, we talked about Jonathan Grenard on yesterday's podcast, any of these guys that can really rush the passer while also playing defensive end and, and playing linebacker uh, just adds to their value. Bonds in that mold. The Lions used him to rush. They also used him in linebacker drills. So I need to see more of him, but he's definitely a guy that caught my attention a couple times. On the defensive side also was Jason Stowbridge from North Carolina, and he's six, listed at 6'5", 285, DND tackle type. He batted two passes and team drills, and that was the first time I noticed him. And then I saw online today people posting clips of him from his college season, and he looks like an intriguing player that maybe if you're going to go to a more 3-4 stuff, you can be a 5-tech or you kick him inside and rush uh, from 3-tech in, in your nickel package. So besides that, I, of course, focused on the offensive line. Josh Jones been linked a lot to the Bengals out of Houston, offensive tackle. He had a very good day. He's very clean. He's, you know, he's athletic. You can tell that even in stretches, we were mentioning how uh, smooth he was and ha- how agile he was. He had no problem like touching his his head to his knee while he's on the ground and doing yoga poses, as you know, Jake. Uh, he's a very very flexible guy. The other guy that stood out to me was Wake Forest's Justin Heron. Seemed to have a lot of power and didn't really make any mistakes at guard. How about Josh Uchi, the Michigan defensive end? I heard that he was the best coverage player 
for tight ends for the linebackers edge guys down there today and he at Michigan was primarily an edge guy but he's a little bit light for the position so they have him out there running with tight ends and he did a great job of it yeah that's right and when he went to go rush too it didn't seem like he was too light they did a lot of stunts and twists and okay how's the offense line gonna pick these up and he was a problem he was hard for a lot of guys to get their hands on so uh, need to see more of him in linebacker drills, but they, it's weird. Remember, like five to eight, ten years ago, these guys were tweeners and they'd fall a little bit in the draft. Now I feel like it's a positive that these guys can do so much. And it, they don't, none of these like edge guys that rush the passer in college look extremely stiff out there in linebacker drills. It's not even the case anymore. These guys drop back and they chase tight ends and running backs, and they look very comfortable. It was only a matter of time, I think, before defenses would catch up to the direction offenses are going. Guys like Marcus Mariota, Joe Burrow, all these offenses, Oklahoma's doing it too. They're spreading it out so much that these guys have to be able to be a little bit more agile, a little bit more cover focused. And so when you hear about some of these guys that are listed right now, if you're going out and looking at the Draft Network's Mock Draft Simulator, for example, Bon and Uchi are both listed as edge players, but both of them could potentially be stand-up off-ball linebackers in the NFL that have very developed pass moves as a result of their edge-rushing history. Anyone else stand out, Joe? Maybe on the offensive side, Van Jefferson had a really strong day one. Sounds like he yep. continued that a little bit on day two. And Lloyd Cushenberry is getting a lot of press. Yeah, Cushenberry's fun, too. He's got a great personality, and he's, he seems like a really cool kid. Uh, three guys I want to mention. Two specialists, one kicker and punter for the North team. Uh, the place kicker's from Georgia Southern, Tyler Bass. And I'm looking for the punter's name here on my sheet here. And it is escaping me, but he was punting 65, 70 yards, no problem. I mean, just booming them. Everyone's like, look at this. Is he from the 10? Where's he, where's, where's he punting from? And it was flying to the other side. And we've talked about Thaddeus Moss, a whole bunch from LSU. There's another LSU tight end here. Uh, Stevens is his last name. Steven Sullivan. I'm sorry. LSU. Very, very athletic. We were watching the film last night and he was running routes and cutting guys up. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's not Thaddeus Moss in the third round, but it's Steven Sullivan, maybe in the fifth, sixth. That punter, Joseph Charlton from Wake Forest. So that's your quick summary of day two of the Senior Bowl. We'll be into this more next week. We'll get into it in a little bit more detail. We'll have the game to look at a little bit too, even though the game, much like the Pro Bowl, very vanilla. But Joe, you had a chance to talk to Duke Tobin today and just give the people a preview before we get there. Yeah, so um, we talked to Zach Taylor yesterday after his press conference and Emily Parker, the PR person, brought us over and said, hey, um, we think you and John will have different questions than the rest of the local media. So after they talk to Duke Tobin tomorrow, if you want to meet us up on the fourth floor, uh, you, we'll give you guys some time to speak with Duke. So that all happened, as, as she said, which is great of her. Um, we go in, and he very serious, very straightforward, but he'd like to control the conversation. There was a few times he wouldn't let us get to our question or finish it or really try to trick him in any way. He knew where we were going, I felt, in most situations and tried to make sure he got the narrative out there as quick as possible. But overall, um, I thought he was interesting and I wish we could have had more freedom and maybe in the next time we talk to him or take a few times to really loosen him up and open him up so we can get some more hypotheticals through him, I think. 
That will be interesting indeed. But this is a good interview. It's a solid, long 20-minute interview. This will be segments two and three of the show. So stick around. We'll get there in just a minute. Before we get to that interview, a quick word from my bookie. If you are the type of fan that knows football so well, you can choose any game and call it. My bookie is a place for you to turn your sports knowledge into cash in your wallet. You've got a few more games in the football season. Got NBA going on, the start of college basketball season. It's time to get off the sideline and into the action with my bookie. You can do a parlay, get that big payout if you hit multiple games. You can do a single game. My bookie has all the choices you could ever want to make some money. And right now, my bookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. So if you deposit $2,000, you'll get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. Use promo code locked on to activate the offer. Once again, that's promo code locked on to take advantage of my bookie's generous offer. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. You know, I think fans are kind of feeling the roller coaster of a week ago. It's uh, the reports are Bengals are zeroing in on Joe Burrow. We don't trade. worry about reports. People will be guessing. We don't have to right. do anything until April, so I just uh, would uh, advise a uh, deep breath in uh, the situation. There's going to be a lot of reports out. Mm-hmm. Know that we don't put any of our intentions out, and uh, so that doesn't come from anybody within our organization that we're definitely doing X. We're definitely doing why. All I'm saying is that we're going through the process of making a decision for the end of April, which is when the decision has to be made by not sooner. We don't get to start earlier if we make the decision tomorrow. It's the end of April. And so the thing to put out is that, that, uh, there, that it's, there's nothing set in stone. Uh, but we're going through a thorough process. We own the number one draft pick in the league, and we're going to make sure that we do the work and research necessary before we make the final decision. And uh, so I know everybody wants to be first in the reporting world, and so you'll, you'll have a lot of. But uh, reading into reports, uh, the, only, the only thing that we'll say is that we're going to put our full effort into making the right decision for the Cincinnati Bengals. So kind of bouncing off of that, because you have the first overall pick, is the process of building the initial draft board a little bit more rigorous because you have your second pick, you have 31 teams. Yeah, we're going to build the draft board out all the way from top to bottom like we always do and be prepared for picking in any spot. You know, we don't just build the draft board based on where our current picks are. We build the draft board to kind of show us, okay, if we go from here to here, what's our universe going to be and is that something we want to do we just don't trade back or up for no reason we trade back or up because we know the universe that's going to be there um, that we would want to pick in that and there like every draft there'll be areas of a draft that are stronger than others you know there's a lot of guys that we feel really good about in the third round very few guys we feel really good about that we would be willing to take in the middle of the second round you know, so every draft board has these voids and heavy spots. And if you can feel good about your analysis about where guys are going to be available, because that's a big part of what we do, not only how much do we like them, but where are they going to be available. And, and if you feel good about that, then you can move around a little bit with some certainty that, okay, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and move this pick. We're going to come down into this area, which we think is a little more fertile and a little more 
the, the players down there are a little more in a position. Rather than taking a guy from down here that we like and taking him up here, we'll try to move that draft capital and gain something on the back end. We really love this fourth rounder. We really love these guys that, that are developmental players in the fifth round. Love to get two picks down there. Um, don't really see anybody here at the top of the third round that we'd rather have over this group at the bottom of the third round. So is that an opportunity to take a third top of the third round pick and move back into the middle to bottom of the third round, gain a couple in the area that we'd really like to grab a couple players? And so those are the things that, that we have. And it goes all the way from the first pick. If we drop down, what's the universe going to be like? And then what do we get for that? And does that improve our football team more than just taking player X at the top here? So you guys go through all those scenarios Absolutely. building up to yeah, the draft. Yeah, there's a lot that goes on to it to where we wouldn't have reason to be announcing anything at, at this point. You know, we, We've got uh, 122 juniors just came out. Um, we probably got 80% of those guys already done. We've got to do the rest of them, the guys who kind of surprised us by coming out fit them in on the draft board, then we'll meet again on all the juniors. Uh, we've already met on all the seniors, and we've kind of got them slotted where they belong. We'll meet on the juniors. We'll slot those guys in. We'll really get a feel for what the draft board looks like at that point. We'll go through the combine. There'll be people that have physical problems. There'll be people that maybe didn't run like we thought. We'll have to go back and make sure we saw what we saw on tape. You know, did we did we think we saw it or did we see it? You know, because this is telling us something different. You mean or, for the or guys who we thought were not quite fast enough, and all of a sudden they blaze a time. Yeah. We're going to say, well, wait a minute. Now let's go back and make sure that we saw the lack of play speed that we were talking about. You know, when we met on these guys and watched them. Let's make sure that's the case because this is telling us something different. And so after the combine, there'll be a little bit of tweaks on the draft board where we've got guys, you know, who did X better or worse than we thought they would do. And then we go back and we look at the tape. We meet again on them. We watch them as a group and we say, okay, this is where we see them at this point. And there'll be guys that we really like that have a physical problem that will probably eliminate them. And, And that'll be a problem. Uh, you know, we'll have to take in that into account. There'll be guys that, that have some off-the-field things that come up that we'll have to take into account uh, in building out the right. final draft board. But there's a lot of work to get to that point. I know it's just easy for everybody who's just, well, just pick him. And, oh, okay, well, that's a, a possibility for sure. But there's still a lot of more work that goes into, in, into understanding what the rest of the draft's going to look like at that point. How much does analytics play a part? It seems like the football world's talking We look about at that. analytics, but we've been looking at them for years. I mean, a height is an analytic, sure. and right. a speed is an analytic, and an arm length is an analytic, and how high a guy can jump, an explosive number is an analytic, a GPS speed is an analytic, how many catches a guy's had is an analytic, how many tackles he's had, how many missed tackles he's had, how many drop balls he's had. Those are all analytics, and, and so by analytics... I think it's kind of a, an umbrella of what scouts have been doing from the start of scouting. <laughs> you know, 100 years ago when the league formed, you know, people have been looking at size and speed right. ratios and production ratios. And, you know, so those really are, are what people mean by analytics. 
and so they're a big part of what we do. All right, so specifically, specifically with the quarterbacks, just in the past five or ten years, there's been a lot of advancements in that specific department. Is sure. there any production metrics with just that position that you yeah, value I mean, we've always looked at uh, uh, um, completion percentage in different zones, different ranges, uh, all those types of things. Um, you know, there there are guys that are much more uh, much more competent in uh, the underneath. Uh, area of the field than they are down the field. There's guys that are better down the field and they're less accurate underneath. But, you know, a, a, an incompletion can be not the quarterback's fault. And so you have to go to the film and understand are these incompletions really... And we'll look. Oh, let me see all the guys' incompletions. And so he can't complete. You're, you're telling me he can't complete a stop route to the left because of this number. Okay, let me see all the stop routes to the left that the guy's thrown. And we'll look at that and we'll go, okay, there's six drops. So he had a crappy X, you know, <laughs> that either ran bad routes or, uh, you know, or had bad hands or whatever. Or he played in terrible weather those games when they threw those. Or maybe he's got a mechanical problem with his feet and getting his hips open and he sails everything, or he throws across his body. Are those things we can fix? Is that a deadly problem, or is it, you know, so we'll look, we'll dig deeper into that kind of stuff. Um, it, it, but you don't make decisions just based on the number. You let the number dictate a little more film to look at and try to understand what the number's telling you um, is, is what we do. You know, there, there's quarterbacks with low completion percentage that have terrible wideouts. And is that one of the biggest reasons the guy has the low percentage? Right. Or, or, you know, and there's guys with high completion percentages that have a low yards per attempt. Throwing screens. And, and they're throwing everything behind the line of scrimmage. Mm -hmm. And so the 78% completion percentage may be not indicative of, of what the guy's going to translate into in our level. Right. And so the numbers just tell us things to make sure that we confirm. Want to go see your Cincinnati Reds this spring during spring training? Well, Arizona is a great place to go. Not only see baseball, but to see everything else. And if you go down there and go down for the Cactus League, they've got 10 stadiums, 15 MLB teams, 75-degree temperatures. All 10 stadiums are in the greater Phoenix area within 50 miles. Yeah, you can go down and see your Reds in Goodyear Park down there. Or maybe, we've talked about it before, you're into the craft beer. They've got Four Peaks, Angel's Trumpet Ale House, Goldwater Brewing Company, all known for great beer. Or maybe you're into hiking. Maybe you want to get out in the desert for the numerous national parks down there. Go up to the Grand Canyon. And if you do the canyon, make sure you bring enough water because it's the way back. Unlike most hikes, that's challenging. It's easy going down, hard coming up. Kind of the opposite of the Bengals. We had a hard time with this bad year, and we're going to come up next year. So go on down to Arizona. Take yourself a little spring break. Plan your getaway at visitarizona.com slash springtraining. How much has it changed? I feel like even as long as I've been doing this for 10 years ago, what I thought I knew then, it seems like now I look at quarterbacks much differently, or even five years ago, now these guys going off script, doing off-schedule plays yeah. much more than before. It's a big component of the NFL right now, that the, the teams that are having the most success are, are getting more off-script plays on third down than the teams who are trying to run the perfect play on third down. You know, And, and when you can get a guy that can... Can make the unexpected happen. The Mahomeses of the world, uh, the, those teams right now are. Now you can make negative unexpected happen doing that too. So you've got to have the right guy that 
still is in control of what he's doing and not just isn't that part important like the, the vision doesn't like narrow when that that has yeah. to happen you see that with some guys that sure. you know they get out there and they start to panic a little but bit but it's a whole team thing the, the line has to continue to block they can't hit the off switch mm -hmm. the receivers have to understand how to uncover when that happens how to how to alter their route when to come back who goes deep who goes short you know you get two guys that run deep and you got nobody to throw to you got two guys that turn around stop in the same area you got nobody to throw to so it's a coordinated effort yeah. it's not just chaos but it's a coordinated effort and i think those things build on your football team when you have a guy that's going to they expect the off script play so the term like first round prospect or day three prospect, it kind of gets thrown around a lot. It's almost kind of subjective from team to team. They have different types of qualifications for what determines that. Do you think that that, subject, that subjectivity kind of hinders just a, a general better way of evaluating prospects, or do you just feel like it's just a we don't of buy into what we read on guys? Right, we, of course. We, we we grade them according to what they've done on tape and how we feel about them and what the research has told us. Um, you know, when I first started scouting, there wasn't a day three. There wasn't even a day two. It was, you know, one day. You just grind through the whole thing. <laughs> That's true. So those are new terms. Those are buzzwords. Uh, those those terms don't really matter to us. Now, he might be a fourth-round talent. He might be a fifth-round talent. He, he might not have the ability to improve our position that we currently have, but he's a second-round talent. And so you have to understand your own team and then understand what you're getting in that guy that's walking in the door. You're getting a second-round talent that's probably not going to be able to start for you right away. Is that what we want? Sometimes it is. Sometimes we know we're going to have a need there in a year, and we want that young guy coming on. So his perceived value to what the roster is, that kind of determines where you would slot him based off like the round projection. We, we slot him by their ability level only, and then we determine, then we determine how they fit on our football team. So there'll be position groups maybe where we feel like we're void, where you can get Bengal starters all the way down through the end of the third round or fourth round. Um, now the talent level, you're getting a fourth rounder and you realize you're starting a fourth round talent. But for us, that guy's gonna start. You know, for other teams, he might be the fifth corner, say. You know, but you understand what you're getting in the talent. You don't take a fourth round talent, drive him up to the second round because you need a guy at that position. You understand what you're getting. But, but we put lines in on our board of wh where we feel the starters end for us on our current football team. And so we understand, you know, what we're getting when the guy walks in the door. We're getting a starter, but he's a backup player, really. How do you weigh that against, say, like, uh, you're in the third round, you got a second-round receiver still there, but we may not need one. We will take, if there's a big enough discrepancy, we'll take the better player all the time, every time. Down, we won't jump down a big bracket and, and take take a lesser talent at that spot. We'll take the better talent if there's a big discrepancy. We put guys in buckets, and we won't leave one bucket until that bucket's empty. You know, yep. until that bucket, unless it's a kicker or sure. something. You know, a truly a specialist position, or or sometimes even quarterbacks fall out of their bucket. But we won't leave that bucket and go down to this lower-level talent group to take a guy at a position of need. Now, within that bucket, we'll let need drive what we do a lot because they're similar talents. We're not losing the talent, but we're getting a guy that might fit better on our current football team. 
So I, I think just with this offseason, there's a lot of questions with AJ and AD and, the, and their futures in general. Is yeah. there a higher sense of urgency to kind of get things right, not only with those two, but just building the rest of the team? Yeah, I, 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 those, those guys are have been incredibly important players for us, and, and we're not going to do anything in haste when it comes to those guys. Uh, those guys. Those guys have done things the right way for us. And we're going to be uh, very respectful about how we go forward with both of them. Is there an idea that if you get to the point of you drafting a quarterback of a four or five year window while that contract would be cheap to maybe maximize the roster? Is this a good reason to pay a running back like Joe Mixon? We're trying to maximize our roster no matter what we do at any single position. I mean, that's. It gives that, you a little more that, resources, that's though, the right? The goal yeah, is to maximize the roster. And. and with with paying players, there is a uh, we call it a zero sum game. You give more over here, you get right. less over here, and and so how to fit that in best um, in the current window and in the future windows that you're looking at, that's that's an important piece of what we do. And um, yeah, we're trying to maximize our roster, and uh, the less you're paying to one position group, the more you can pay to another, and that's. It seems like it's been a good advantage for a lot of Super Bowl teams, you know, to have that rookie contract quarterback. Yeah, and it can be. It can be. And there's been a lot of Super Bowl teams with a highly priced quarterback, sure. too. They, you got one of each in the Super Bowl right now. Sure. So having worked with Zach now for a year, what would you say is the, the biggest commonality that you two share in terms of just not only just draft uh, prospect evaluation? I think enthusiasm general. for the game. Uh, you know, I, I think we view the game in very similar ways. I, I, I think that um, we want guys who enjoy football first and foremost. You know, everything drives around the enjoyment of actually playing the game. And then enjoy the things that come with it. Not, I want the things that come with it, and but I've got to play football. And so we're both after the same thing. We want guys who really love the football game. How do you find that? Uh, you got to work at it. You got to talk to people who have been around them. You got to visit with the player. You got to, I mean, sometimes you're wrong. You know, sometimes you're wrong. Sometimes guys' motives change. They're human beings. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, that's what we want. We want guys that just can't get enough of football. They love practicing. They love the preparation. They love watching film. They love the competition of it. And then the stuff comes with it. That's all gravy. That's all great. Uh, you know, I'll take it. Nobody ever says no thanks. But I love the game of football. Peyton Manning is the greatest example of that. He loved the game of football. Everything else came with it. Sky's the limit. But that's not why he was doing it. Do you find it harder to project that or find that out than it is the football stuff that's on tape? Absolutely. It's by far the hardest thing to find out. Yeah. How often do you uh, – so it, then you'd probably get guys that are different than you expected more often personality-wise. But on tape, how often do you see a trait in college and you're like, man, he gets here and – I don't know that. Mm, those traits normally show back up. I mean, if you can do something once, you can do it. It's in you. Mm -hmm. and, and those traits, will, some, some are shower to, slower to show those traits when they walk in. It's a new environment. Maybe they're not comfortable, not confident yet, and so they don't show up right away. But those traits always show up. If it's there, it's there. And you've got to get it out of them. You've got to put them in position to show that trait just like their college team did. Um, and sometimes they're in a different position or sometimes, you know, it's uh, maybe a bigger competition level jump. So it takes a while for the guy to translate those skills. 
but if the skill is there, the skill's there. A fast guy is a fast guy. A slow guy is a slow guy. A, a guy with good hands has good hands. A guy with, that has drop problems is probably going to have drop problems with you. You know, the, the traits come along with the guy. How much they work at it, how much they work to develop those traits and perfect those traits, that's the hard thing it's to understand. Point. And is there a sing- is there a single trait that comes to mind that you think is not necessarily as valuable? But with the way the game has evolved, there's just some traits that are just more valuable in some positions than others, just compared to where it used to be like ten years ago. Yeah, you'd ago. have to go position by position almost with that question. But sure, I mean, sure there are. I mean, football continues to evolve, but ultimately every team is looking for a bigger version of whatever a faster version of whatever a more physical version of whatever a smarter version of whatever you know that's that's what every team is looking for nobody says no 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 we're not looking for smart big no i don't like big you know fast not not so much for me i rather have the slow guy you know everybody's looking for the same traits it's uh, there's no secrets there sometimes the difference is what you're willing to put up with Okay, this not very many people have it all. The the guys that have it all, they're easy. But okay, what are we willing in our schematic to put up with a lack of? You know, we can't have a lack of speed at this position. But if he's a little off size, we could probably make that work. Could you have a lack of arm strength if the guy has everything else? Um, at quarterback. At quarterback, there's been plenty of good quarterbacks that haven't had rocket arms. Um, you got to be able to reach all the points of the field. You know, otherwise teams will sit on you and, and know your weaknesses. The, the scouting in our league is too good. The advanced preparation before a game is too good. And if you have a hole at that position, you can't reach certain points of the field, they won't defend it. And, and that makes it harder to re- reach the actual points that you can. Right. So you got to, there, there's a bar. You got to be at the bar. Sure. You can't be below the right. bar. But you don't have to be John Elway to be successful in this league. You alluded to um, bringing in some of the concepts with that uh, college player. Like, he did this in college, so let's make sure we do this to make him successful. I think that's something we've seen much more recently, sure. trying to fix, you know, especially like pro-style quarterbacks. If they got a rare trait, you, you want to build on that rare trait. Baltimore did a great job yeah. building on a rare trait. Exactly. You know. And, uh, How hard is it to do that? I, can you, you got to have buy-in at all levels. You got to have buy-in in the coaching staff. You got to have buy-in, you know, in your scouting department. You got to have buy-in that we're gonna we're gonna try this. Mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't a guarantee that was gonna work for right. them. No. You know, there wasn't a guarantee, and um, and they were courageous enough to to buy-in and build it around it, and it, it was successful for them. Do you think that style can last? But you, if, without la- without buy-in, you won't be able to be successful at, at trying something a little radical. 